0: Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives, something we do not talk enough about. Every week, I have on cool people from the crypto industry to talk about what they're building and what the implications of that might be for real human beings. I am here with Sin Bahati from Her
1: Story Dao. Sin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited.
0: Yes, I cannot wait to chat about all of the amazing things that you're doing. Before we get into that, do you want to give a little bit of background on you, how you sort of fell down the crypto rabbit hole and and what you're working on?
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, like you said, my name is Sinbahati and I'm an artist and also super into technology and all the implications for tech and art and the intersection of the two. I started into crypto in the DeFi sector I was working in finance at the time, just trying to get some money, really, like there was no real passion there. It was just like a job. But being there, I learned a lot about the current financial system and I learned a lot about the history of banking and all that stuff. I learned really how volatile the, I mean, at least the US dollar is. And it it got me interested in reading about like foreign markets, like in Argentina and in Kenya and seeing that these countries are using like cryptocurrencies to help stabilize a volatile economy. So I got into crypto through like the money aspect, which I think is what most people get into. And I was super like obsessed with blockchain technology and the ways that it was being used also in third world countries that weren't related specifically to the economy and all sorts of You know, ways of life. So, yeah, I just really started with an obsession. Like, I just got super into this technology that was new to me. And I learned about blockchain like last year around this time. So, since then, I've kind of done a lot in the metaverse. And I fell in love really with this space when I started having conversations with like Kayvon from Foundation. And Jacob from Zora, and I saw what they were building, and I saw that beyond just having cryptocurrencies on the blockchain, you can have crypto media on the blockchain. And, you know, in the same ways that cryptocurrencies are revolutionary for our financial and social political landscape, crypto media is gonna do the same for the ways we interact with each other in our cultural landscape. So, that was like an awakening for me in a lot of ways so i got interested in that and jacob from zora gave me a i guess like a private invite cuz for zora cuz back then like when they started they were they were invite only but now it's as you know it's open to anyone who wants to create on uh web3 but i was one of the first creators and i was like this is cool. (laughs) I'm not really (laughs) sure what I'm doing. (laughs) It was like Tumblr. And it was like, I remember the first couple of days on Zora, just feeling like I had found something that was going to really change the world. And there wasn't much on it. Like Jacob had posted something, I think like the Zora manifesto, it wasn't like a lot. And I remember posting an audio of me talking um, that I recorded a few months back called the medium is the message. Cause I felt like that was like a cheeky thing to say. <laughs> the medium is the message. You hear that a lot. And I just left it there. I didn't, I think I just wanted it there for providence. I didn't actually think like my brain didn't conceptualize that I could make money off of my voice. And then I, I got a bit and I was like, what? I like, didn't know what to do <laughs> So I kind of left it there for a week because I was like, this is weird. And then I got another bid. And then I I just like, I was like, okay, I'll accept the bid. And then that rewired my brain. It changed everything for me. And I mean, luckily around that time COVID was happening, I got let go from my finance job because I was working in mortgages and like inflation is causing interest rates to go way up. So they didn't really need a need for me after a while. But luckily I was able to find like a quick job in crypto and eventually like I just kept making art and I I, I loved the art more than the initial love of like DeFi. I mean, I still love and use DeFi, but I, I just feel like I'm an artist and um, having that awakening on Zora really cemented it for me that I can actually live off of this and off of my words and the stories that I say and share with the world. So that was all kind of coming to a head. I was like in this crypto job and I was just happy to have a job in crypto, um, but also felt this inner impulse to like make art and also collect art and just really be in this crypto media NFT space. And then Latasha, do you know Latasha? I don't know her
0: personally, but I absolutely love her.
1: You know of her. Perfect. So as you know, and for those who don't know, she's a rapper musician on the blockchain. Like she puts you know, a lot of her music on Zora. And I, I was always like a Zora girl. <laughs> so I like, like to see who's on in the community. And I saw this woman, this girl that was first of all like beautiful and stunning, and she was rapping. And I was like, wait, I've never seen this ever in crypto. <laughs> I think she is the first female rapper in the space. And so obviously, like, I was a stan girl, like, I really fangirled her for a little bit. And then I saw that she posted a poem on Zora. And I write poetry. I, like, really love words, all that beautiful stuff. And I thought it would be such a cool thing to have, like, such a dope piece to have a poem from a rapper. Because it's, like, just, like, having a poem from, like, Jay-Z or, like, you know, like, someone who doesn't do poetry, but is in congruent or parallel to the space. And I was like, okay, this is going to be worth a lot of money in my head because it's just, it's like a, it's just a dope piece. And I wanted to bid on it. And I was working in PR. Like I, I wasn't making a lot of money. So I was like, I want to have this, but I I also want to give Latasha her worth. And if I were to just take it for myself, I mean, I would be able to afford it, but I don't know if it would it would give her the value I feel it's worth. So that is where the idea for a DAO came through because I was like, we could give her so much more and we could obtain this and just have a bigger impact if it's like a group of friends that really love this poem and really like, I, can we cuss on here? I was going to say F with Latasha's work. Oh yeah, yeah, you can say <laughs> whatever you want. okay <laughs> like good. So um back to the crypto job i had i had the opportunity cuz i was working in the space doing pr interviewing crypto people i had an interview with people pleaser and i i talked to her a little bit before the interview about how pleaser dao was formed and she gave me like a run through of how that worked a couple of weeks prior to the latasha poem piece and that was kind of in my subconscious mind just brewing like this idea of communal ownership and all that beautiful stuff that Dao stand for, and I remember telling my normie friends like it would be so cool if we could do something like this. I have like text messages like I, I <laughs> they're like, "What do you?" I love about? that. <laughs> um, so that was in my subconscious mind. It wasn't like I, I always say that the Dao wasn't planned, and it really wasn't. Like I had no plan, or even before I saw the poem, I had no initial idea that the next day I would make a DAO to acquire the poem, but it was in my subconscious. And I think it's important. The information we read, especially in the space, it does seep into your mind and you can form ideas, even though you may not consciously know you're going to act on them, that, you know, it happens. So that was one of those cases where I just had just like a random encounter with someone who was already in the DAO space and it just came together on the spot and we started a group chat on Twitter that we still are in. We started it April 28th. And I'm, just- oh my God, I love that everyone's still in it too. That's so fun. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I'm sentimental. So I remember the day so we started a group chat. We, we used a Gnosis Safe, which is like the industry standard, you know, it's a, it's a really, early time to be in, in crypto and in DAO specifically, but we were starting to figure out what is the quote unquote industry standards. So we collected money in a save. And at that time I was doing everything manually. So it wasn't autonomous. I had everyone's ETH address and their name and their Twitter at and the amount of ETH they gave on an Excel spreadsheet just to keep it organized because I'm a Virgo moon. Um (laughs) I love it. Thank you. And we were able to acquire her piece like the very next day. It was it was insane how fast the turnout happened and how everyone just came together. And it was her highest sale at that point. So that that was what I wanted. And I, I was happy. We were happy. It was a beautiful moment. And we still had money in the vault left over. And I think. As a group, we were going to decide what we would do to move forward. I know some people came in to the DAO just for Latasha's piece. And there's some people that came into the DAO because they want to continue getting pieces from women and, you know, making this space a, a little bit more equitable. So we had those conversations we still needed to have. But I think like a day later, I was on foundation and... This family called Yatreta. They're a group of artists um, based in Ethiopia, and I, I think their like group name is Yatreta, or one of the artists' name is Yatreta. And they minted an, an incredible, beautiful series of photography depicting Ethiopian history. And each family member was casted in a different role, and it was the whole series was stunning. But I saw one piece that was just absolutely beautiful. It was the Queen of Sheba piece where the main photographer was posed as the Queen of Sheba. And she's like this beautiful, you know, Ethiopian woman and she's decked out in jewelries. Like it was so fire. And I I sent it to the group chat just with a question mark and everyone unanimously was like, yeah, we got to get that. We have to get that. (laughs) And that's really like, that was the moment the Tao decided to continue. 'Cause we could have just had like an experience where we came together for Latasha's piece and then we disbanded. But I think that moment was like the point of no return, you know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> um, totally. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sorry, it's such a long story, but um
0: No, I love it. It's so good to hear like how everything happens too. Like I love that because that's really what it's about. Like it's about the people and about the feeling of coming together and doing this. I'm curious in that moment, did it feel like you all sort of knew that this is what her story was going to evolve into with that second piece or has it just sort of unfolded and evolved organically throughout the time that it's existed?
1: The latter, 100% the latter. It's unfolding. It's evolving. It's growing as we grow as people in the space. I always like to bring the numbers into it and the demographic of the DAO. We're a really young DAO. A lot of us are Gen Z and a lot of us are growing like and changing. And I, it's kind of funny to see the parallels of the DAO growing and expanding as well. But yeah, definitely. It's like, it is a dynamic organism, you know, it's living, it, it grows and it changes, but the mission stays the same, which is, it helps us to stay like grounded and clear eyed. The mission helps to also bring in new people, you know, that want to participate and contribute, but there, you know, the mission also is, is quite vast, right? So there's a lot of ways in which we can function as a DAO. So the evolution of that is, is exciting.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, like in your words, what is the, what is that mission of her story? For me,
1: it's, it's really simple. We started to create a space in the metaverse or actually to create the a metaverse that is equitable and Starting with collecting the narratives of women and preserving those narratives and celebrating those narratives and like what women do in this space and women as in like non binary artists as well. So it started with collecting Latasha's work and then the beautiful Diana Sinclair curated an exhibit that we were able to be a part of. And for me, that fits into the celebration piece. And all of these things are necessary in my opinion to make the metaverse a more human space there's like that sometimes you can miss that layer of like humanness in the space you know what i mean um oh 100% i love that like that framing is
0: so beautiful because i think it's so true like, often we we sort of build these systems that are very they're very mechanical and we miss out on that the humanity of a lot of these things and the textures that exist in the real world that if we don't think about it, won't be part of the metaverse.
1: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And there's just a rich subculture of amazing female artists, black artists, people that, you know, aren't gonna at least in the current iteration of this space, they're not gonna get the hype that Beeple does, but they're just as deserving, if not more, because of the story and the the detail and the attention they put into their craft. There really is such a rich, I'd say even an underground culture in the space that we're just obsessed with that her story. And then we feel like we can shine a light on and we feel we should because no one else is. Right. So yeah, it's that layer. It's really human and really simple. Also, it's not super complicated.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think this notion of supporting and creating a space for these types of experiences that I think, to your point, aren't really part of the main crypto culture conversation is so important. I'm really curious how you think about accessibility in the space, even from like a creation perspective, as you know, even minting art is not easy like you have to get to a point where you've actually been exposed to crypto and you you find the right people in crypto like even finding her story i'd imagine for for artists coming in who are underrepresented that's a journey so i'm curious how you think about accessibility for creators from that perspective
1: that's a great question one example i have a friend and she's in the dow data boy Pelo. she's based in kenya and one day we were talking because we had a collaborative piece together. We were talking about NFTs and she told me something that that was new to me at the time was that in places like Kenya, Ethereum is hard to come by. It's hard to get. It's, it's not as common as it is here in the West. In the Western hemisphere, in the art world, Ethereum is like the blockchain to do this crypto art stuff on. But in other parts of the world, it's like... It's not that. So there's there's that layer of inaccessibility as well. And that just the, the ecosystem of Ethereum isn't accessible, let alone the minting process and, and what have you. That's why you'd see like a lot of alternative blockchains being used around the world in places like India and Brazil and Africa. And it's not because they don't want to be on foundation or Ethereum. It's just like it's expensive, For them, And it's not accessible. Like it doesn't make sense for them to use that when they could use, I don't know, Matic or something. That's just an example, right? Mm -hmm. There's that layer, right? There's that global perspective that a lot of creators don't take into account in this space. And um, not creators, but I mean like just people in the space, like in general. I know like living in the West, I think about I don't even. I hardly ever think twice about someone's crypto art experience in like Saudi Arabia or South Africa. You know what I mean? But there's that 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 global aspect of the conversation. So that's there's a that's a whole other layer of how things are accessible. And a lot of this language is in English.
0: Mm-hmm. Another
1: layer. A lot of the educational language is in English. So all those things. It's just I think a lack of globalization in our worldview. Which is another thing that her story, just by, you know, the work that we do, that's something that I've encountered head on is how, how some of the top people in the crypto space are like European white or American white. And it's hard mm-hmm. for them to see beyond that. And when they're making tools, it's hard for them to imagine a world beyond, you know, their, their worldview. So that's kind of the main thing in terms of inaccessibility and the education layer plays into that for sure, for sure. I think that's such an interesting challenge
0: also from the perspective of culture. You know, like when I think about crypto culture, there's sort of a very dominant narrative. And I think that's such a limiting way to think about culture because there are so many aspects and so many stories to be told that her story is is very much, I think, helping creators telling those stories by collecting these pieces. And and we can get into some of the curation stuff too. But yeah, I think even the culture side of all of this is super interesting to dig into.
1: Yeah. I, I took one course in anthropology and now I feel like I'm like a cultural expert in like <laughs> a cultural anthropology class. And now I really, I just sit and ask these questions. Like I really like, I ask like if, the norms aren't challenged. How will the metaverse look in five years? Is that a space that you and I want to be in? You know what I mean? I ask those kinds of questions and and that I think that's why that I'm in this position is because I ask these questions and I like to have conversations with people like you that, that are interested in, in these questions. and I think the' exploring and the discussion will open the doors at least, at the least will open the eyes to someone who can provide answers, you know, and can take into account the cultural human aspect that we keep talking about in building the metaverse, right? We need more crypto anthropologists, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. We need more crypto anthropologists, yeah.
0: Like we're building this whole world and we don't even think about half of these things, which is kind of insane. Um, oh my God. A that's, little bit scary.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point, right? Like imagine if this were a physical world that we could see, we'd be asking questions, right? Oh, 100%.
0: So my question for you is what does the, utopian version of the metaverse look like? What are we building towards or what should we be thinking or trying to build towards?
1: Wow. That's like a killer question. Killer <laughs> question. <laughs> um, I I will say that my utopia is impacted by my perspective and my own dreams. So my Utopia probably isn't the Utopia, but it probably is like a section or a slice of of paradise but I think it it for me it like it boils down to like almost this question of it's not even access but like enjoyment and and pleasure almost like can we create like a web three virtual world? where people historically who didn't have the opportunity to make money doing the things they love, can we, can we allow them to do that? Can we allow them to bring bread to the table and live off of their pleasure and off of their enjoyment? And I'm seeing it with Axies Infinity. Like people are making money to play games. And mm-hmm. I think that's beautiful. That inspires me. And that's why I was like intoxicated with the NFT space. Cause it's like, I, for a living, I look at art and I talk about art and I make art for a living. And that's like that joy. I think it does something to your brain To It's like, um, what is it? What is the, the, the hierarchy of needs? You know what I mm-hmm, mean? mhm. Like, The bottom is just survival. And then as you move up, you're going to like self-actualization and self-realization and and those things like enjoyment. If we can create a space like that where everyone's base needs are met, and their base needs are met by like DeFi or like just playing games, I, I feel like that would be a renaissance in in human thought and in how we act and how we are. I think that would just create such a beautiful. World, honestly, and I know it probably sounds idealistic, but it seems to be a lot closer than we ever thought.
0: I love that idea of being able to sustain yourself off of things that you enjoy. I think that's a really amazing picture of of the metaverse. I'm super curious when you think about people who traditionally have been marginalized and haven't been able to to do the things that they love in in a way that was sustainable or even at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've heard a lot recently about pseudonymity impacting some of those pieces, like people tweet like, oh, you know, women and people of color and all these people, like, mm-hmm. no one will know that's that's your identity in, in the metaverse, blah, blah, blah. I have my own thoughts on, on the challenges with that argument. I'm curious if you have like a perspective on the role of pseudonymity in how people think about some of these things. And also like, what? that changes in the metaverse, if anything.
1: Well, I definitely want to hear your your thoughts first. <laughs> I saw your I, tweet, so I, I'm like, I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I
0: think, I think there's sort of two challenges. The first is like by just saying pseudonymity solves these problems, you're ignoring systemic barriers that keep people to your point about being someone who maybe English is not your your first language or a language you speak at all or being somewhere around the globe where something like ethereum is not accessible or honestly even just being like someone who lives in america who doesn't have access to the same financial systems Mm -hmm. let's say if you're black then someone who's white like there are just these challenges that i think like by saying pseudonymity solves these problems you just ignore so many systemic barriers to entry that's i think the first challenge to me the second one is that like as someone who's a woman, or if you're a person of color, like, you shouldn't have to be anonymous in order to to feel accepted. And I think also, like, if that's an important part of your identity, it's not something that you want to hide. So those are sort of my two thoughts on it. I don't know, I think it's like a very interesting concept to think about.
1: No, definitely. Um, we're going to breed the next Socrates and Aristotle, because these are like, Philosophical questions. Um, yes. Right? Like, I can, I can just imagine, like, debates going back and forth into the night about, you know, the metaverse and, and what, it, what a crypto citizen is, you know. Um, but no, those are, that's a beautiful point. Like, that, it makes a lot of sense. And at least for me, I know a lot of my work is affirmed by and informed by my being a Black woman. Mm It's like inexplicable to my my experience, you know? So in that way, at least for now, her story is collecting work that's like unapologetically female. So there's no question about who made this, where did this originate from? But as the space grows and as more and more people come into the space, I do see like a strong lean for some people towards being... I guess, almost not secretive, but like they don't want the world to know that part of themselves. And that's kind of this crypto space. But yeah, that's a that's a question, man. I don't have like a solid answer to that. I don't know what it's going to look like in five years at all. I don't have an answer, but I'm thinking my brain is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I don't think anyone has like a, a perfect answer or a an idea of exactly what it's going to look like. But I, I love your point about like, There might be a world in which someone wants to have one part of their identity exist Mm -hmm. in this very open world and not another part. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's also part of actually the beauty of it is the choice to say, actually, I do or don't want this part of me to be this identity that I have online. And maybe that's also something that actually ends up being really cool. And, And I hope that's how it evolves. We'll see what actually ends up happening.
1: So when you said that, my brain was thinking, okay, so maybe the metaverse can be like an omniverse. And like in one metaverse, Mm -hmm. you're like, you are this part of your identity. And then you go into this other world where it's like another section. You're just like a multidimensional being across all the omniverses. I love that. And that totally feels
0: like the way that identity really exists, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you show up in a space and you show very specific parts of you and maybe don't show other parts. So that's sort of how it is in the real world also.
1: Yeah, honestly, now that I think about it in the real world, it's like, it would be nice if it really were that way, where you could turn off some parts of your identity <laughs> <or other> people, <laughs> right um, at the dinner table or what have you. Um <laughs> yeah that's super dope I love this conversation it just it went like in my lane which is like the philosophical kind of thing so
0: yes and we don't talk enough about these philosophical questions I think I mean there are like so many opportunities to have these really fruitful discussions about all the crazy shit that we're building and also think about the human side of it because we are building like a crazy world that's what your podcast is for 100 percent. That's that's what I love. I'm super curious from like the, the her story perspective on all of this. What do you see as a five year role? Like where where is her story existing across the the metaverse or the
1: omniverse? Wow. I see her story as the begetter of DAOs uh, related to making the space equitable. That was always the dream for me. And I wrote an article that I haven't I haven't shared with the world yet. But I, I wrote it on tribal Dao's mm. in this framework, and this protocol of tribal Dao's. And I wanted her story to be an example and then maybe create a ripple effect of other Dao's to follow in the wake. And for me, I think you're a successful community if you can birth other communities that are successful, kind of have like a mutant effect and, and, and spread on in that way. So yeah, her story was probably going to be the mama Tao of other Daos. And it's already looking that way now because beyond collecting, we're, we're getting into wanting to do our production side, you know, like her story music, her story film. And then maybe it's going to evolve to not even have the word her story, but it's still going to be in this, this lineage and in this family tree. And in five years, I want her story to be like, the eve of the family tree and have a lot of offspring that go off and and do good work in this
0: space i think the to me one of the ultimate things that a dao can do is create in some capacity i love the notion of like the eve of daos and that really feels like at the crux it's about creation and Mm -hmm. and creating things in the space that that sort of grow into into their own which i think is so cool thank you I absolutely love that. Yeah. I I think there's some really, really cool things that are going on. I absolutely love what you're doing. Where can people
1: find you and learn more about her story? You can find me at Sin Bahati everywhere on social media, at Sin on Zora. I'll be making a lot of art, be venturing into other mediums, like music-y kind of thing. So that's going to be exciting. And her story is at Her Story Dow on Twitter and on Instagram. And we have a lot of fun stuff coming up, like just other ways for people to get connected and we'll be launching soon. So right now we're a private DAO. I don't know if I told you that, but we're a private DAO and we'll be launching soon and our discord will be opening up. So if you want to learn more, if you want to join, be a part of it, just stay tuned and follow us on Twitter. That's where we're super active. Amazing. Beautiful things coming up. I cannot wait.
0: Um, for the eve of DAOs to emerge i absolutely love what you're doing and thank you so much for coming on the show
1: thank you so much this was a pleasure it was such a great conversation if you like what you heard please make sure to subscribe and rate the podcast
0: i always forget to do this for podcasts that i like but it's actually really useful also please hit me up on twitter if anything resonated with you i'm at chaser chapman tweet at me let me know what you think and also let me know if there's anyone you think i should have on the show